Anybody ever had white line fever in here before? That's what I thought. It's not a new COVID, COVID variant, by the way, okay? But you probably experienced it at some point in time in your life. It's also known as highway hypnosis. Let me tell you what a highway hypnosis is. It's a hypnotic state often found when driving long distances where you've traveled tons of miles, but you don't remember the majority of that drive. Now, how many of us have ever had white lion fever before? Yeah, we probably get it quite a bit when we drive. Um, but the thing that really wakens us up as we're driving and we're in this, this time of hypnosis, which literally can be a couple hours if we're not careful, is the rumble strips. Right, you hit those rumble strips and they remind you, they wake you up, you're like, oh my gosh, I, I need to pay attention to what's going on here. Because many times we're driving and, and maybe <laughs> you're falling asleep. Uh, you're, you're texting and driving, which is illegal. Uh, you're yelling at your kids, so you're turned around to look at them. You're, you're singing with your eyes closed because this is like your favorite song from 1999. Or, or I've actually seen this twice while driving. You're reading a book. I've literally seen people reading the book while they're driving. I don't, I don't know what happened to them. Hopefully God took care of them, but, but I don't know how you read an actual book and, and you drive. But then you hit the, the, those rumble strips and those rumble strips, it's like thumpity thump, 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 like we just heard in the, in the bumper there and they wake you up. It's kind of those sweet sounds of, of security, right? Of safety. It's a warning that you're going into dangerous territory and you need to make sure you pull yourself back on to the road. Well, over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about rumble strips. We're going to talk about these warning signs that we need to be careful of and look for when it comes to, to marriage. But I need you to hear me here. No matter what your marital status may be, whether you're married, you're divorced, you're engaged, you're dating, you're looking, I can promise you this series is appropriate for all of us. In fact, if you're married, I really believe this can strengthen your marriage as you look out for these warning signs. If, if you're not married, this is going to prepare you for what's to come, that, that you don't find yourself hitting these rumble strips or hitting these rumble strips as much. And if you've chosen singleness in, in your life, here's what you get to do. You get to sit back and you can laugh at the rest of us the whole time, all right? But we're going to start by looking at what these rumble strips may be in our life. But I think a good place to begin is looking at some marriage and divorce stats because it gives us a good picture of kind of where we are here. Let me give you some good news about marriage. The median length of a marriage is about 20 years, which is, sounds really good. The divorce rate in Virginia from 2009 to 2019 has actually declined. And the divorce rates overall, you hear that normal stat of 50%. When you really break down the numbers, you're really a little bit less than that. It's probably about 40 to 50%, somewhere in there. They, it's hard for them to, to, to define that specifically, but it's actually less than 50%. These are good numbers. Let me share some of the bad ones with you. Even though the median length of a marriage is 20 years, the average length of a marriage, and if you're like me, you had to go back and look at the difference between median and average, you know what that was like, you learned that like in eighth grade, is only 8.2 years. One in four marriages are impacted by infidelity. If you were to add emotional affairs that happen, you're looking at about, some stats say about 70% of men and 60% of women have either had a physical or an emotional affair with someone else. The group that has seen the biggest increase in divorces, it's tripled, is the age of 65 and older. 
Divorces in that group have tripled over the last few years. Uh, if you have a second marriage, your chance of divorce is about 67%. Third marriages is about 75%. And February is the month where most people file for divorce over any other, the love month. We hear those stats, right? And it makes you want to get married if you're single, doesn't it? I mean, how can we keep from being a part of these bad statistics when it comes to marriage, what kind of rumble strips should we have in place that we need to keep our eyes on? And that's why this morning, I wanna to talk to you about this rumble strip called priority. Because I'm betting if your marriage is struggling, if it's messy, if it's failing, if it's failed, the number one reason that's taking place is because your priorities or your spouse's priorities or together your priorities, man, they were all messed up. And so what would it look like for us to make sure that our priorities are where they need to be? How can we make sure we're doing all we can to have a healthy marriage and focus on the priorities that are most important? Well, what I'm going to do this morning, I want to talk through a conversation Jesus has with a religious leader. And I honestly believe these are probably some of the most powerful marriage words that are out there. And you're going to look at this and you're like, I don't think this is about marriage at all, but it actually is. And so we're going to be spending some of our time in Matthew 22, starting with verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Here we have these religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. Jesus is, is killing their livelihood. They're, he's killing the control they have over the people because Jesus is showing up and the people are starting to follow him. They're starting to listen to him. They're starting to live the life that he's telling people to live. And these religious leaders are like, man, we don't have any control over these people anymore. We've got to get rid of Jesus. And so like, well, how do we do that? We, we got to trap him so we can put him in prison, maybe so we can kill him. Whatever it takes, we just need him off the streets. And so they asked this question of Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And really the question they're asking Jesus is, hey, Jesus, what should be the number one priority in our life? Now you're reading this and you're thinking, but how is this a trap question? Well, there were 613 commandments in the Old Testament law. And the religious leaders here, they're really hoping Jesus is going to choose one of those laws, one of those commands, um, sort of an innocuous one that they can pinpoint him and say, aha, you're wrong. That, that, that's not right at all. And so how does Jesus actually respond here? Look at verse 20, or excuse me, 37. Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And you're hearing those words and you're seeing those words on the screen and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, how did I miss this? This is all about marriage. Some of you are like, I think he picked the wrong scripture today. I was looking for something a little bit more juicy in the Bible because I know there's some better stuff there. But this is all about marriage. Because when we look at what Jesus says here, he is reminding people the importance of relationships. That if we were to peel back everything in life, everything really boils down to one thing. It boils down to our relationships. And he says here, the number one relationship that anyone should have is that relationship with God. Look what he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. 
Now these words were actually part of a prayer called the Shema that if you were really a religious person, Jewish person, you would pray this prayer twice a day, sometimes three times a day, but mostly in the morning and the evening. Some people would throw it into the middle of their day. But the reason that you were praying this prayer, it was supposed to remind you that the most important relationship that you had in your life was the relationship that you had with God. And as Jesus is, is responding here to this question, it's almost like he's reminding them, hey, do you know what the most important relationship is in your life? Do you know what the number one priority should be in your life? It's almost like he's throwing this back on them by saying, you pray this prayer every day. You, you pray it over and over again, and it's all about making sure God is priority number one in your life. But you see, this prayer actually goes way back. And it goes back about 1,800 years from this time with Jesus. It's been a part of the Jewish faith for a long time because God has said from the very beginning part of this, this nation being formed, hey, I should be the number one priority. God shows up, uh, Moses leads the, the Israelites out of Egypt, um, and Moses is, man, he's in this leadership role he's been thrust into, and he's trying to figure out how everything should function, and organization, and the structure, and it's, it's kind of crazy and wild, there's a lot of people. So God comes like, hey, here, here's these rules, here's these commandments that everyone should follow. This is going to help alleviate some of this tension that's there. So he gives them the Ten Commandments. Commandment number two says this, Exodus 20, verses four and five. It says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Now, why would God make this a commandment to this new nation for them to follow? Well, it's because God is trying to say, hey, that relationship you have with me should be priority number one. It should take precedence over everything else, over every other relationship that you have. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but why is this important? Why is it important that we have this, this focus on, on God in our marriage relationship? Why, why should God be priority number one? Here's why, statistically, people who attend religious services on a regular basis which isn't twice a year, by the way, or twice every six months. It really is almost every single week. Okay? People who attend churches or religious services almost every single week, people who believe that the Bible is inspired word of God, and people who pray regularly for their spouse, the divorce rate for that group of people, people is still not great, but it's about 25 to 26%. And so if we, if we look at the overall divorce rate of between 40 to 50%, and then we look at people who are really working hard to make God a priority in their relationships and, and who they are, man, we see a drastic change in the divorce rate. Again, still not perfect because we're still messy people, but we find there's a difference that's there. And I truly believe it's because of that relationship that they put where God is priority number one. And so if you're married and you have a spouse, your number one priority, your number one relationship should be with God. But we're not done there. Back to Matthew, look at verse 39. It says, the second is equally important. This is Jesus again. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. 
So Jesus says priority number one is your relationship with God. Priority number two is your relationship with your neighbor. If you're married, guess who your neighbor is? It's your spouse. It's the person that you sleep beside. It's the person you take vacations with. It's the person you eat with, the person you talk to. It's the person who tells you in the morning to go brush your teeth before, before they even give you a kiss, right? That person, your spouse, <laughs> they are your neighbor. And if you and I wanna have a successful marriage, if we're in a marriage right now, if we're looking to be married in the future, if we wanna have a successful marriage in the future, we've gotta make sure that not only do we love God first, but we love our spouse second. And then everything else and everyone else, man, they're number three and below if you were to rank them. Again, why is this important? Well, I can tell you as a pastor, I have never had anybody come to me and say, you know what, in our relationship, God's number one. God's the number one in our relationship, in our marriage, but man, we gotta get divorced. Nobody's ever said that to me before. And nobody's ever said, oh man, you know, God is the number one priority for our relationship and our marriage. You know, our spouse, my spouse, they're, they're number two and, and I'm the same with them. And you know what? It's just not working out. We, we got to get divorced. In 23 and a half, 24 years, I have never heard anyone say that in my ministry. What I normally hear is he doesn't listen to me or her faith isn't as strong as mine, or I don't love him anymore, or she's not the same person that I married. I hear that over and over and over again. And maybe you do too, as you talk to people that are connected to you, that you have relationships with, you have friendships with. But what I find is that when God is the number one priority in a relationship, in a marriage, and, and the spouse is number two, that someone is loving their neighbor, they're loving their spouse like they're supposed to love them, man, those marriages tend to be strong. And so here's my question for us. And this is a question that we need to, to answer. Uh, if you're married, if you're thinking about the future and, and marriage, and the question is, what is the number one priority in your marriage? What is the number one priority in your marriage? Now, for some of us, it's work. Like we, we put all our time, we put all of our effort in, into work, that, that work has become priority number one. It's where we focus, uh, we're, we're, we're spending 60, 70, 80 hours a week working. Now I understand there are seasons where we may have to put in more time than other times, but sometimes it just seems like those seasons never end. Like, like we're so focused on, on our, our work and, and we're just kind of engulfed in it, that, that that's where our relationship is. And yet the conversation happens within the marriage, like, hey, can you stop working as much? And, and the other person says, well, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for our family. Look at the things we get to do. Look at the things we have. All of this is happening because of my work. The reality is, this goes back to that Ten Commandments. What we worship, what has become our idol, what we follow, what we live for is our work. And so for some of us, that's the number one priority in our life. For others of us, it may be a home, maybe cars, maybe your six-pack abs, uh, maybe your hobbies. I mean, this list could go on and on. But if we're not careful, something else could be in that number one place, could be that number one priority for us. Now, there's another one. And this is for those of you that are parents. Sometimes what you will find is that the kids are the number one priority in a marriage relationship. 
And let me say, kids are good. Kids are important, whether they're biological, you're fostering, you adopted them, whatever the, the case may be. We're called to love kids and we're called to take care of our kids. We're called to nurture and feed them and clothe them and love them and discipline them, all that kind of fun stuff. But nowhere in the Bible does God say, hey, make sure your kids are the number one priority in your life and in your marriage. And so oftentimes what we find is not a God-centered marriage, not even a spouse-centered marriage. What we find is a child-centered marriage. The kids have become the center of that relationship, that everything that happens is focused on the kids. Now, I want to share an example here. I wrote this message this week, and this was about two pages worth, and I was just kind of like, blah, and I thought, I need to keep that to myself. So I'm going to keep a lot of this to myself because I like my job. But anyway, let me give you a great example of this, parents. Travel teams for sports, for activities, for dance, for everything you can imagine. You and I, because we've done this with one of, a couple of our kids, we'll put money and time into this and we'll talk about, hey, it's the experience. They're learning something. They're growing. They're making friends. Or they're really good at it. I'm not saying it's bad for our kids to be involved in things like that. What I am saying is sometimes those activities, those things that we are doing everything we can to make sure our kid is a part of, they become the thing we worship. They become our, our idol. And then I begin to think, what are we actually teaching our kids? Well, we're teaching them what we think priorities in life should be. It should be all about them. It should be all be about all their, their sports. The church world's not existent to them because I know this because most of these things happen on the weekends. And you're gone and you're doing this. And, and I know it's one of those, hey, we're just going to do this for this time period for about four or five months and then we're done. Well, those four or five months, they end up being like 9, 10, 11, 12 months. And it just becomes a year-long thing. So church is non-existent. God is not important. What's important is that I make sure I do everything I can for my kid, that I let their wants and their desires take precedence over anything else in my life. And so we invest all this time and, and this effort, and our relationship is really about the kid, and it's not about God, and it's not about a spouse. Are our kids becoming our idols? Because here's the day, one day, those kids at about the age of 40 are going to walk out of your house for the very first time. <laughs> I think 40 is the average these days. But at that point, there's only two relationships that are going to be important to you anymore. It's going to be your relationship with God. It's going to be your relationship with your spouse. And in my ministry experience, when I've seen this take place, and the kids have been central to the relationship that is there, to a marriage, when those kids finally leave, there's not a marriage there. There never has been a marriage. Uh, they're just friends. And so when you go back to some statistics, what you find, people that are over the age of 50 are divorcing at about double the rate of anybody that's younger than that. And I have a hypothesis that a big reason is that's about the point in time where our kids start leaving the house. And we've invested so much time and effort into our kids and they have become the thing we worship and our idol that when they leave, we're kind of left there staring at each other like, what's left? We actually don't love each other. We're friends and I don't want to be living with somebody who's just a friend. And I think it's one of the reasons we see the divorce rate increase so dramatically over people over the age of 50. But here's the deal. It's because our priorities are wrong. 
We've got to make sure our priorities are in the right place. Our number one, number two priority cannot be work. It cannot be our stuff. It cannot be our, our kids. It has to be what we talked about here. It has to be God, and it has to be our spouse. And everything else just kind of falls underneath that. But how do we do that? What kind of steps can we take to make sure, practical steps, to make sure that we're not hitting up against that rumble strip that's saying, hey, your priorities are messed up. How can we make sure we're, we're driving down the road and we're not in highway hypnosis because we are focused, we, we know what we're doing because these priorities are in the right place for us. How do we do that? Well, I'm gonna share with you this morning something that came to mind this past week and uh, as I was working through this, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe nobody's ever come up with this before. It's an acrostic, okay? And uh, it's a really good one. It's a strong one. I, again, probably never heard it before, but here it is. I'm going to use the word bless, okay, over the next few moments to explain priorities. And if you've been here over the past few weeks, you know we just finished a series called Bless. And as I was working on this this past week, I'm like, oh my goodness, We've been talking about these relationships and how important they are and how we should invest in them and do everything we, we can to bless the lives of other people. Oh, you know what would be a great place to do this too? In our homes, in our marriage relationships, in our dating relationships where we're blessing these people we say we care for, we, we say we love. So I want to use that acrostic and I want to share with you some ideas here of how we can get our priorities straight doing this. Here, here's the first one. Again, if you've been here, B is B in prayer. If you want to make God a number one priority in your life, you pray. You, you just spend time in prayer. And I know for some of us that's hard to do. I know for some of us we kind of struggle with that. But oh my goodness, spending time praying to God just in general, but specifically about our marriage, it's a powerful thing. In fact, I have a challenge for those of you that are married and actually a challenge for everybody who's not married too, but, but let me start with the, the married people here. Over the next seven days, here's my challenge for you, okay? Because I, I know, and I'm not going to lie to you, I struggle in this area some when it, when it comes to praying um, with, with my spouse specifically. I'm inviting you to a challenge over the next seven days from today through next Sunday to spend a few moments each day praying with your spouse. And that doesn't have to be 40 minutes, Okay. And you don't have to use the crazy, big, long Jesus words. It can be simple. You get together. We're going to pray for our marriage. It might be 30 seconds and you're done. But it might be the first time some of you have ever done that with your spouse. Or, or maybe you haven't done it in a long time and it's an opportunity to kind of reconnect here. Because what you're saying is, hey, God, you're priority number one in our relationship and my spouse is priority number two. And so what would it look like if we just spent a little time each day praying together just pray together just for a few moments for seven days and see what God does there now maybe you're married and you're like hey my spouse doesn't care for church doesn't like God doesn't care for Jesus and I know this is a hard challenge for you here's what I challenge you to do just pray for your spouse and pray for your marriage pray to God over the next seven days every single day take a little time to do that or even give you a little extra challenge here why not invite your spouse to be a part of it I've done this before in a couple of places and, and people whose spouses were not Christian, didn't care about the church, they said, hey, I'm going to pray for our marriage today. Would you just let me pray for us? Would you be a part of that? 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And almost every single time those people have come back that have done that, like they said yes. 
I thought they were going to say no. I thought they were going to tell me to get lost, but they didn't. And, and we did that. And man, it really has begun to change this relationship. And so if you're, you're married to someone who's not a follower of Christ, pray for them, but, but invite them to be a part of that. Or maybe you're unmarried and you're thinking, this doesn't pertain to me at all. No, it does. You can start praying right now to make sure that God is the priority number one in your life and that that relationship with your spouse-to-be will be priority number two. You can already begin to pray those prayers, but prayer is such an important starting place for us. So I challenge you to do that over the next seven days. Here's the second one. Els, listen. Communication is the biggest issue in marriage, isn't it? I mean, if you boil it all down, it's all about communication. We do not know how to communicate with each other. And so what would happen if we just took the time every single day to shut our mouths and open our ears and just to listen? Just to pick a time. And it may be right before bed or at the dinner table or sometimes like, hey, tell me how your day went. And we shut our mouths, we open our ears and we listen. And if your spouse is with you right here, you know what they're doing when you get done? They're like, hey, tell me how your day went. Because sometimes we don't listen. There's so much noise that's going around and we're busy and there's work and we've got kids and all this stuff. We're trying to figure out life and, and we forget to just stop and listen and begin that communication process with our spouse. So take time to listen. Again, a few minutes a day and see where that leads you in your relationship. The third thing there is eat. This is dating. Dating is a great thing. Dating your spouse is very important. And uh, just spending some time with your spouse alone if you've got kids. Or, or if, you're, if you don't have kids, getting out of your house and going somewhere and just being on a date night or a date day. Man, there's some power in that. And so go out to dinner. Uh, go see a movie. Go do something you love to do. Go skiing, snowboarding, whatever you want to do. Just get away together. Get out of your normal place and, and spend that time together. And maybe you've got kids and you're like, Babysitting is really expensive, and, and yeah, it is. Um, take your kids, put them in the room, put them to sleep. If they don't sleep, lock the door, whatever it takes to keep them in there. Do a little picnic in your living room, or sit on the couch and eat popcorn, and just spend a couple of hours together. You don't have to do this every day. But man, if you can kind of get into this rhythm of once a week or once every couple of weeks, eating together will, will change your relationship. And then next one, Serve. We got to make sure we serve our spouse. Um, I always recommend Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. So when you came in here today, some of you sat down and you're like, oh, there's a book here. Somebody left it. They did, and that person was me, right? Um, so I've got six different books in here. I got two for single, <coughs> excuse me, people who are single. Five Love Languages books uh, for uh, another two are for military couples. Uh, they, Gary Chapman did one for military couples, and then one or two more are just the regular. Um, love languages books. Make sure you grab those if you sat there and if you're like, man, I'm not military and I can give it to somebody. We've got about 45% of our church's military. Hand it to them. If you know somebody single, take that book to them if that's not you. Um, but just kind of a starting point there, just a little free gift because it's so important we know how to serve our spouse. 10 to 15 years ago, Karen and I went through this book and we still use it every single week, almost every single day, it seems like. And I know her love language is acts of service. And so that means uh, cleaning up the, the bathroom and, and folding clothes and doing laundry and doing dishes and cleaning the kitchen and all the things I hate to do, okay? I'll be honest with you. I do not like doing those things. But I know it fills my wife's tank when I'm doing these acts of service. So guess what I do? 
I do these acts of service to fill her tank because I'm like, man, I love you and I care for you. I want to share with you or I want to serve you. And I serve her through these love languages, through these acts of service for her. And I've shared before, mine is touch. Touch is my thing. That's my love language. Um, that doesn't mean I want you to come up and give me hugs for like 55 minutes and, and touch me all the time. That's, that, a hug is fine. You know, fist bump, handshake. I'm good with those. But I like the hugs and touches and kisses and other things that, that my wife gives me, right? That's the stuff that I love, and she knows that. And we're going to talk about that other stuff actually next week, so make sure you come back for that. But, um, but that's how, how she can serve me is it's just by that, those touches that, that she can give me. It, it changed our marriage. And so if you've never been through that before, take the time to do it. The book's like 12 bucks on Amazon, I think. And there's a little test in it. It tells you exactly where you fit. Take the time to do that because being able to, to serve your spouse is such a powerful part of our marriages. And it shows... It shows, hey, you're a priority to me. Now, if you're not married, you're like, why do I need to do this? You get to learn your love language. You get to learn how somebody should invest in you and, and, and be a part of your life. And, and hopefully, as you get closer to getting married or if you're dating someone, you can learn their love language too. And you can share with them in those ways. The last one, share. It's all about sharing your life together. That in the end, I think if we begin to put these priorities in place, we live out these, these things we've just talked about we're going to share an incredible life together. And we're not going to become another statistic. Because we're not going to worship the things that we shouldn't worship. We're not going to make idols of things that we shouldn't make idols of. We're going to be focused on God. We're going to do everything we can to follow Jesus. And then we're also going to be focusing on this relationship we have with the spouse that we said that we love. And we can live that out through sharing this life together and being blessed in our time with each other. Hey, marriage is hard. It, it is not easy. And if you're not married, if anybody tells you that married, marriage is easy, they're lying to you. It takes time and it takes effort. But, but I can tell you, if we have that rumble strip of priority in the right place, and, and if you're following God first, you're doing everything you can to follow Jesus, and, and you make that relationship with your spouse-to-be or the person you're dating or your spouse, if you make that number two, and God will do amazing things in that. Because life is hard, marriage is hard, but we got this incredible God who wants to say, hey, follow me and make me a priority and I'll show you how incredible life can be. And if we're married, if we love our spouse just like we're supposed to love our neighbor, we can have these strong, incredible, healthy marriages. So as we begin this series, let's keep our eye and make sure that we are moving forward in our priorities and putting them in the right place. And when those rumble strips hit, we know we need to come back and get back on that road, this journey that we're called to be on together.